Morning, everyone. It's lovely to be back with you again. And uh, David asked me just to mention briefly that um, we're starting a series, you guys are starting a series on unsung heroes. And uh, he's actually going to properly introduce it next week, but um, he asked me to pick one this week. And so uh, what I'm going to do is, coming up, and I'll bring it up on the screen, um, some clues about this person. And uh, if you think you know it, feel free just to shout it out. That's okay. Um, and we'll see how long it takes us to get this person. So the first one, God used me when I was a young girl. I'll keep going. You can just shout out. I was a worship leader in Israel. I had two brothers. Miriam is right. I was a prophetess in Israel. I grew up a slave in, in Egypt. I was part of the Exodus leadership. And God disciplined me with leprosy. I think Miriam's one of the most um, inspiring people in the Bible. Her father was Amram, her mother was Jochebed, and Jochebed is included in the heroes of faith in Hebrews. Her name, Jochebed, means God my glory. But we read uh, an amazing story about little Miriam whenever she was a little girl. I've gone too far back. Exodus 2, 3 to 9. But when she could no longer hide Moses, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. It's Moses' mother we're talking about. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister, who is Miriam, then stood at a distance watching the sea what would happen to him. As we were looking at the photographs that Naomi was showing us, I thought those girls in the life cell group are probably the type of age that Miriam was and the type of girl that Miriam was as well. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. This is probably the story we know most about Miriam from. This is the story that we hear as a child and we retell um, even in adult life as we hear the story of Moses. It's really Moses we're interested in, but Miriam is absolutely key in this story. This was a, a, a family of uh, mom and dad and three, Miriam being the oldest, and then Aaron, who was three years older than Moses. But life was tough for them. They were living in an oppressed situation. They were made to become slaves. And whenever Moses was born, it was a difficult thing for them. They probably would have preferred a girl to have been born because that was the time whenever Pharaoh had ordered that any baby boys born to the Israelites were to be drowned. And so they hid him for as long as they could and knowing how big sisters care for their little brothers, can you imagine the fear in Miriam about what was going to happen to little baby Moses? Imagine her fear every time he cried that maybe someone in the community would betray them and this baby would be taken from them. Maybe there would be spies or informers that she couldn't trust. But the heartbreaking day came whenever Miriam's mother did the unthinkable and had to put her baby in a basket and put it in the water 
among the bulrushes. Miriam stands in the bulrushes to see what happens. And again, the reason why the baby had to be put in the basket was because they could not hide him anymore. He was probably crying that much, and they were unable to pacify him. And so he probably would have still been crying and not being pacified when he was in the basket in the water. Think about the impact of that on a 12 or 13-year-old girl's heart as she stands by, not able to go and intervene for her little brother. But then she watches and she sees the Egyptian princess being alerted to this child. Now, bearing in mind that it was the Egyptian princess's father who had commanded that the babies be drowned, this was one of those moments where absolutely anything could have happened. And can you imagine her absolute joy when she realized that the princess was not going to be horrible to the child, but to be for the child? And a moment of ingenuity in this 12 or 13-year-old girl, when she takes a step of faith and comes out of hiding and into the scene and offers to find a mother in Israel who could nurse the baby. What a moment of ingenuity. What a way that God used Miriam, clearly using him for his purposes. So she will have rushed back home and got her mom and brought her mom to find Moses to be able to nurse Moses. Can you imagine the difference in the day in that house? The day they had to say goodbye to a child and then receive him back again as if from the dead. Can you imagine their realization of the hand of God in this scenario. It tells us in Hebrews that Moses' mother understood that he was a special child. It tells us that in Exodus, that Moses' mother understood that he was a special child. So there's an element of faith being exercised the whole way along this, but that doesn't mean that she wasn't frightened. And there would have been the amazing turnaround in how they were feeling that day. One minute Miriam is hiding in the bulrushes, worried about her baby brother, and then next, she doesn't, know, she doesn't need to fear for his protection anymore because he is now going to be under the protection of the palace. So Miriam, as a child, was part of God's miraculous deliverance for Moses, and Moses would become part of God's miraculous deliverance for Israel. Now, the next time we see Miriam is after the miracle of salvation when the nation cross the Red Sea, whenever the nation experienced their salvation and the violent closing of the waters, which brought the complete destruction for the Egyptian army. Now, I don't know if um, anyone has ever tried to argue this um, miracle away for you, but the story is told of a, a young man who had come to faith and he was reading his Bible. He was sitting at a bus stop and he was reading his Bible, and he came to this story of the parting of the Red Sea, and he got very excited, and he was shouting, Amen, Hallelujah. And a skeptic came to him and said, What's this all about? And he said, God has just opened the Red Sea. And the skeptic said, Well, we've sort of discovered that it wasn't really a sea. It was, it was just marshland, and, and really there was six inches of water. So they crossed over 
the Israelites crossed over uh, uh, over six inches of water. So the new believer was a wee bit disappointed, and he uh, went back to reading. And just within a few minutes, he was shouting, Amen and Hallelujah even louder. And the skeptic came over and he said, What is it now? And he said, It's another even bigger miracle. God has just drowned the Egyptian army in six inches of water. (laughs) Whatever way we understand this, and we take it at face value as the scriptures tell us, God worked the most amazing miracle in all of history, other than the resurrection of Jesus, by the opening of the Red Sea for the salvation of a nation and the closing of it whenever the nation's oppressor was judged and punished. They were faced with terror, with the army coming towards them and the sea on the other. Miriam at this point had witnessed the miracle of God's protection with the angel of the Lord and the pillar of the cloud had actually moved behind the children of Israel to protect them from the Egyptians until they opened up the Red Sea. And therefore she witnessed the miracle of his salvation with the opening up of the sea. And thirdly, she witnessed the miracle of his judgment on the oppressors when the seas closed, o- closed over and engulfed the Egyptian army. So yet again, we see her, and not making too many connections because I haven't figured out what they all are, but she's beside water, and she sees God's intervention, God's miraculous intervention for the purpose of saving his people. She was overwhelmed with joy, and the Bible tells us that she was leading the women in dancing and singing and celebration. And it tells us that she was playing the timbrel and she led the ladies in playing the timbrels. My background is through Salvation Army Sunday School. And uh, timbrels is actually part of my psyche. It's part of how I grew up. I never ever played them, but um, whether in Sunday School or sometimes in a Sunday morning meeting, um, timbrels would be part of the worship. Now, to give you an idea, for me to explain that to you is impossible. So we have a video to give you just about a minute and a half of Malawian salvationists playing the timbrels. Can we play that video? So what sort of words come to your mind when you see those ladies playing the timbrels? Things like joy and celebration and exuberance. And this is the type of worship that Miriam led the children of Israel in. And Moses led one of the chants and she repeated with another chant. And so she became um, a witness to a miracle and then she responded to that miracle. 
in exuberant, joyful worship. It says in Exodus, let's read the passage just in Exodus 15, 20 and 21. Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine, a timbrel, and led all the women as they played their tambourines or timbrels and danced. And Miriam sang this song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The timbrels and the tambourine in the scriptures are always about celebration. They're always about jubilation and celebration. And Miriam was full of joy and worship. She had lived her life as a slave. She had lived her life under the oppression of the Egyptians, and she had been part of the Israelites crying out for relief. So the child Miriam, in these intervening years, had become a prophetess. She had become a worship leader. She was a lyricist and she was a percussionist. She was an inspiring woman in the midst of God's people. But then there's a third story about Miriam that we don't really focus in on a lot because it's a difficult story. Because whilst she was a leader, she's like every leader you know, she is susceptible to making mistakes. And she made some mistakes. She had her flaws. And, and the next story, which is a bit of a longer reading, tells it very clearly. From Numbers 12. Verses 1 to 15. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll, I'll skip from verse to verse. While they were at Hazroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman or an Ethiopian. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? Meaning her and Aaron. But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses and Aaron and Miriam and said, go to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. So this is a very serious situation. God has called Moses and Aaron, Aaron and Miriam right into the midst of the camp in front of the whole people, and he's going to speak to them. The Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid, Miriam and Aaron, to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Miriam was his big sister, but she stepped out of line here. She had saved him from the bulrushes, and she had led the people. She was a prophetess, but she stepped out of line. What seems to have happened is that Moses' first wife, Sipporah, who was a Midianite, has died. 
And Moses has taken for himself another woman as his wife. And he hasn't chosen one of the Hebrew girls, but he has chosen an Ethiopian. And for some reason or other, this is part of Miriam's struggle with Moses at this point. She seems to criticize him. Now, whether it's as stark as racism or whether it's an issue where she just felt so passionately about the Hebrew slaves that she felt they should benefit from being married to Moses, we're not sure. But for whatever reason, that wasn't, that wasn't really the root of the problem. That was how it was displayed. The root of the problem was she was getting frustrated that it seemed as if Moses was the only person God would speak through. Could God not speak through her and Aaron as well? And what seems to have happened is that she led Aaron in this sin. So she must have gone to her, his tent or brought him into her tent and started talking about this. And God says, I can hear every word you are saying. And he brings the three of them out into the middle of the camp. And he displays his, his, his choice of Moses as the leader by explaining that, yes, Moses or Aaron and Miriam, you are prophets. But it's not the same for you as it is for Moses. Moses, when he meets me, hears me speaking as if it is mouth to mouth or face to face. You've got to understand it as in riddles, whereas Moses understands it much clearly, much more clearly. There is no ambiguity in the message that Moses receives. And so God is angry, really angry with Miriam, this leader, this prophetess, this worship leader. He is angry with her. And he strikes her with leprosy. Leprosy was probably about the worst thing that she could have experienced. As the children of Israel moved around from place to place, those with leprosy had to stay outside the camp wherever they pitched camp, had to be excluded from the community. And we didn't read it, but in the passage, Moses prays for Miriam to be healed. And God's response says, if she had spit in her father's face, would she not have to bear the reproach for that? So she will be leprous for seven days and then she will be cleansed. And so for seven days, the camp didn't move. They waited for Miriam to be brought back in to the camp. Some people have um, tried to consider what impact this would have on Miriam and some interesting insights have come from that. One person reckons that that time outside the camp would have meant that Miriam had a far deeper understanding for the pain of the leper. That she understood what it was like to be excluded from the camp. To be, to, to, she would understand what it meant for other people to have to come and bring you food but leave it without speaking to you or having any contact with you. So Miriam would have been chastised by God and transformed by God. The legacy for Miriam is not one of failure. The legacy for Miriam is, is found in Micah, the last mention of her in the Old Testament. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. I think the overarching message about Miriam is that she was courageous. 
She understood the importance of the Israelites' salvation, and she worshipped, and that she was a child who was loved by God and disciplined by Him. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the Lord corrects the people He loves and disciplines those He calls His own. God has always been a God of grace. His, his leniency with Miriam, because it was very lenient, was an act of his grace. I wonder this morning which of the story of, Mo, of Miriam connects with you most. Are you a 12 or 13 year old that's being asked to take a step of faith and to stand up for God's ways in the midst of a culture that doesn't value that? Or is there just a sense in your life at the minute of a deep overflowing joy because of the work of salvation that God has worked in your life? Or are you at a period of time in your life where God is correcting you because he loves you? Not because he wants to punish you, but because he loves you and wants to call you his own.